Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church, Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Galatians 4, 1-7. Uh, what I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might, be, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Thank you, Hilary. Bob, when you come and join us. Um, Bob has been part of Mosaic from the very early days. And he is a teacher in profession, but also applying that to, uh, kind of to teaching us the word of God. And um, it's such a great privilege to have Bob um, preaching this morning. So give him a little round of applause. <clears throat> great. Good morning, everybody. Oh, a responsive congregation. How oh, nice. I'm looking forward to it already. Um, great. Yes, yeah, so um, could we just pray to start with? That'd be all right. <sighs> Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. I'm so glad to have this time to focus on you and what you do. So, yeah, we say come this morning. <sighs> yeah, would you come and guide us into truth? And uh, we don't want to leave here with more information. <laughs> we want to leave with more of a revelation of you and uh, who our Father in heaven is, who Jesus is. So the Holy Spirit, would you come do your work this morning? Amen. Right, um, okay, so I thought we'd start with just a little bit of a quiz. Um, I wonder if you could, firstly, if you could name these people who are appearing on our screen. Um, so top left, you can shout it out. Top left? Steve Jobs. Um, top middle? Katie Tunstall. Good. Top right? Ice tea. <laughs> the father of gangster rap, of course. Um, bottom left? Superman. Superman. And bottom right? Oh, it's not Lord of the Rings. It's not Richard the First. I'll give you a clue. Gladiator. We've got it over here. Marcus Aurelius. Okay, question, and there was a clue in the, in the Bible passage. What do you think links these five people? Any ideas? All these five people were adopted. They're all adopted children. So there you go. There's a seamless link into what we're going to be talking about this morning. <laughs> So the title of our, the title of our, our um, preach this morning is The Spirit of His Son. Uh, we're going to be looking at this morning as the role of the Holy Spirit in terms of uh, how we live as, children, as sons and daughters of God. Sometimes I might just refer to it as sons, um, but that when, if I do that by accident, I'm referring to both 
male and female. Sometimes I remember to say sons and daughters, so don't be offended. Um, I tried to get some inspiration from this from my own kids, you know, going to the father-son thing, and I said to them, go on, Toby, what, what, what for you is a father? What does a father do? Because I thought, come on, give me a bit of credit here with the congregation if I can get some, some personal experience. And, and he came up with two things. A father, uh, a father puts your plaster on, and he cleans away poo. So... Um, <laughs> So it's very profound. I'm, I'm not going to try and draw too much from that this morning. So anyway, this, so the spirit of his son, it's, um, in the context of a series on the Holy Spirit, the first week we looked at the spirit of freedom, how before the Holy Spirit enters our lives, we are trapped in our old ways and the way that we used to live. Uh, and then last week, um, we looked at how the Holy Spirit fills us. And it's not just one occasion or one way in which people are filled, but uh, Steve mentioned three ways that people are filled with the Holy Spirit at conversion. Um, When you believe in Jesus, that's the first work of the Holy Spirit and evidence of him in your life. And then over the course of your progression through discipleship, you're also gradually filled with the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, there are also some special moments where God powerfully and intimately comes um, in, in the form of the Holy Spirit. And there are yeah, some very special moments which are key to our growth. And so this morning we're talking about living as sons and daughters of God. Um, so why did I start with the adoption theme? Uh, well, it's mentioned quite a few times in, uh, in the New Testament. And I thought it would be really helpful for us, to, for us to talk about it a little bit before we launch into our verse, into our, our passage for this morning. And look at the context in which Paul was talking about it. Paul being the, the author of Galatians. Um, so adoption in Roman culture was something which was ca- carried out often, uh, often by the, more, the upper classes or even the ruling classes. Um, Marcus Aurelius was, was adopted. He was, um, uh, his parents, I think his parents died when he was young, and he was adopted by um, Aurelius Antonius Pius, who was then the emperor, and then uh, Marcus Aurelius became the Roman emperor 23 years later. And so people did it, people, did, people adopted in those days, not out of charity, not because there was a, you know, a, poor, a poor orphan somewhere, but out of necessity, uh, that there should be someone who would carry on the family line, that there would be an heir who would continue, that would carry on the father's estate. Uh, it was done often through relatives, as in the case of Marcus Aurelius, but often, uh, often they, uh, they would even adopt slaves, the, the father of a family would identify a, a slave that he would, if there was no natural sons in the family, he would choose a slave and adopt him. And the adoption process uh, consisted of either the previous slave owner or the previous father receiving a, a payment from the adopting father. Um, so a payment had to be made and then there would be a ceremony in front of the local magistrate in the presence of witnesses. Um, and so it was a very important act because the, the role of the father in those days was all-encompassing. Everything belonged to the father of the household. He had the ultimate power and possession over everything, uh, the children, the women, the slaves, everything. And so this act of adoption was very highly regarded. And when the father adopted the son into the family, he then had the same rights as the natural-born son. Uh, if it was a large household with many people in, often if it was a, a child, he, 
the father would appoint someone to look after and bring up and to teach that child. He wouldn't necessarily do it himself. Uh, and so he'd appoint a guardian or a trustee. So that's like the, the bit of the background of how adoption happened in Roman culture. And hopefully, as I've explained that, it might just shed a, a little bit of light as we look at our passage, passage in Galatians. Paul is using the illustration of adoption uh, to help us uh, understand uh, our, our place as sons and daughters of, of the living God. However, to the, Gala- the, the context in which we meet it in Galatians, um, the Galatians had early received the gospel and they'd received the message of grace and they'd received the Holy Spirit and they'd started off well. But into their ranks, there had been an infiltration of, of, of Jews who had the agenda to, to make them follow the law, to make them observe certain days and months of the Jewish calendar, uh, to make them follow uh, the tradition of circumcision as well. What Paul was trying to show them is, and this is the kind of context of this, is that you can't go from law and then into grace and then back into law again. There is no, once you're in grace, there's nowhere else to go. And that's where uh, the adoption, the context of adoption is really helpful. So let's have a look. So verses 1 and 2, Paul says, What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. And then into verse 3, he begins to draw a parallel with us and the, the story of our salvation. So also, we, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. What does he mean by elemental uh, spiritual forces of this world? Um, well, what Paul is saying is that before we come to know Jesus, we, at best, we are, well, we're all under the kind of stewardship of a set of rules. In the case of the Jews, it was the law which had been passed, uh, passed on to Moses. Um, uh, for, for people in the Roman culture, it might be in the rituals of paganism. Um, for people in our society, it might just be um, what you think society expects of you or a certain moral code which is being passed on to you. And that If you want to lead, lead a good life, before you come to know Christ, the best you can do is do your best to fulfill that set of rules or that moral code. That is our guardian, that is our, our steward until we come to know Christ. Um, so let's move on to verses four and five. But when the set time had fully come, this is where it gets good, um, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So God sends his son Jesus into, this, uh, into our place where we have been trying to fulfill a certain moral code. In the case of the Jews, it was the law. Um, and he sent, but why does God send Jesus to that place? It says here, to redeem those under the law. Now, the, the, the word to redeem in the original Greek can be translated as also to buy back or to purchase. And say so that this is the redemption payment that an adopting father made to, his, made to the, the previous owner, father or slave owner. So 
Jesus is, Jesus come, Jesus is sent as a payment. The Father sends the Son as a payment. That payment, of course, was, was fully paid on the cross at Calvary for us. The adoption payment has been made. And in doing that, God has met the demands of the previous master. You know, Jesus completely fulfilled the law. And he completely fulfilled the, the demands of it. And that was the payment that brought us into God's family, that brought us by adoption. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? It was all because he wanted you to be his son or his daughter. That's why he did it. It's not just so you could be saved, but it's not just so you could be saved. It's so you could also be his son and his daughter. Okay? And that's a new legal status. That's a new legal status. Once you've believed in Jesus, that is, that is appropriated to you. And that is your status. And of course, the, the, significance, the significance of our, our adoption, you know, the fact that we are sons and daughters, is absolutely huge. You know, it means your slavery of trying to fulfill this certain moral code, this checklist or the Ten Commandments or whatever the, the, kind of the stewardship of rules which has been over your life, that, that slavery is now over. You can actually be given the, the tag good. You can be completely justified not by, not by what you do or how you perform anymore. And that is so freeing. Um, in the Roman culture, um, adoption was hu- hugely significant. It meant you waved bye-bye to your old rights. Um, th- uh, and you, uh, you said hello to a new set of rights in your new family. It meant you had to say goodbye to uh, the, the, the previous inheritance that you would have received in that family, if indeed there was an inheritance. Um, but you became the heir of a new, a new estate. Your old life was completely wiped out. You were given a new name. And any legal debts or um, any um, ob- legal obligations you still held or, or any offences you committed were completely wiped out. It was a completely new start with a new name. And um, the same is true for us. The same is true for us who are in Christ. When we're adopted into Christ... We get new rights as a child of God. Start with access to the Father and eternal life. That's just the beginning. All our debts and sins are completely cancelled and we are an heir of the King and a co-heir with Christ. Um, there was, interesting, there, there was one difference and allow me to, to make the, uh, the parallel here as well. There was one difference between an adopted son and the natural born son and the family, and, it's that what, and that was this, that the father of a natural born son was allowed to sell that son uh, into, and to allow him to be adopted to another father. But if he had adopted a son into his family, he couldn't then go on to, to sell him again to someone else. He couldn't adopt him into another family. Once he, he'd been adopted into that family, that was where he stayed. There was nowhere else for him to go. There, wasn't, there isn't for us a way out of grace. Once we've been brought into grace, there's no, there's no other family we want to go to. So it's awesome. It's, so a legal arrangement has been made that you are sons and daughters of the king. And that's my first point. It took me a long time to get there. But you can, and it's this, that you can be secure both in your salvation and your identity simply because 
of what Jesus has done on the cross for you. And that, is, and that is yours. And nothing can change that. No matter how you feel, what kind of a week you've had, what you've done, nothing can change it. It's your legal status. And it's good news. It's good news. And if you're here today and you've not, and this, is just, this sounds like the best thing ever to you, then it's really easy. And it's all yours. If you, if you, want, to, if you want to be welcomed into the new family, today could be a really, good, a really good day to do that. And you can discover you can discover being completely justified by what Jesus has done for you. Okay, so let's move on to verse 6. It gets, it gets better and better, believe me. Um, so verse 6. Um, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. Um, I think what, what's interesting about this verse is, is the order in which things happen. And it kind of follows what we've been saying so far, that the first thing that happens is that God makes you his son or daughter through a legal transaction. After that, God sends his, the spirit of his son into our hearts. Okay, and my, I thought it might be well, ask, worth asking a question, why did the father do this? If you're already his son, he's already made you his son by the legal process of adoption. Okay? Spiritual, legal process of adoption. Why does he then send the spirit of his son if the work is already done? Why does he do it? And this is where we start really starting to look at the role of the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> So the reason why I kind of dwelt on adoption for so long because we need first to get to understand our status of, of sons. That's the first thing. That's the foundation. And then what the Holy Spirit does is then he, he's going to build on that. So let's look at the work of the Holy Spirit in us, in us being, being sons. Um, one really useful thing that Steve said last week, uh, and perhaps a few of you might have caught this, when he's explaining the work of the Holy Spirit, he said that Jesus does the work and the Holy Spirit applies it to you. And I find that's really helpful in this context. Jesus obviously did the work for us on the cross in us becoming sons and daughters of, the, of our Heavenly Father. By, by making it real. So... What I mean is it's not enough just to have the concept or the theological, uh, the theological understanding that you, are the, that you are the son of your heavenly father. It's not enough. Okay. What the Holy Spirit does is that he makes it into a, a personal connection with the father. And it's so important that we get this. And I know that many people uh, do struggle sometimes with experiencing that personal connection with the father, with the heavenly father. Uh, so let's look at that verse 6 again. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So he's saying the work of the Holy Spirit is, is producing this address to God, Abba, Father. And that was, of course, what Jesus, how Jesus addressed the Father, Abba, Father. Um, and it represents a very emotional, uh, connected way of referring to um, a father. It's actually still used in Middle Eastern countries. It's used as the basic word for father um, from the time a child can speak 
And as he grows up, he'll refer to his father as Abba. Abba. And some people get into a bit of a panic when they, when they hear that, and they think, oh, does that mean that we, uh, or should we, can we call our God Daddy, or Papa, or Dad, or Father? And I don't want to get into that debate now. We have various English variants. All they had was Abba. So as far as I'm concerned, Dad, Daddy, Father, Heavenly Father, Papa, all good. So don't worry about that. That's fine. The important thing, the important thing is, is that we make, is that we make, we're not just making a theological connection with him, but we're actually making a personal connection with our Father. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit when he enters, when he comes into our hearts. He makes it real. Because it's the spirit of his son, the experience of intimacy and connection with the father was Jesus' experience. It's the spirit of his son. As he comes into our hearts, it means it can be our experience as well. And this is the second main point. The Holy Spirit makes the father's love real to us. Which makes it kind of worth asking the question, what, what kind of relationship did Jesus have with the Father? All right, and this is a discussion question. So where I get to have a drink of water, okay? What kind of, discu- what kind of relationship did Jesus enjoy with the Father? All right, so I'm gonna give you 60 seconds to discuss this, and then we're going to feed back very briefly, okay? Where you go. Okay. <clears throat> um, what was it like? What, what do we see in the Gospels? What was, um, what was Jesus' relationship with his father like? God said, this is my beloved son, and I am well pleased with him, before Jesus did anything. So Jesus was completely confident of his father's approval. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's two-way. Say a little more. The father spoke to him and he spoke to them. Jesus had complete faith. It's difficult to imagine him not being able to talk to the father about something, isn't it? Yeah. He had an open relationship with the father. That's great. He obeyed his father. Yeah, he only did what he saw the father doing. That's right. And he said what he said, what the father was saying. That's good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, obviously, he, he, had, um, he had a really, obviously, profound experience of the, of the Father's yeah, approval, as we say, his, his presence in his life. Um, how many people here think they've, uh, they've kind of got up to the level of connection with the Father that, uh, that Jesus had? Okay, I, I'm just... I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really bad, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, but hopefully, we can we are kind of on 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 a journey toward towards that place. Um, but you know what? Jesus actually prayed that that it would be the case that we'd be able to put our hands up. You know, um, in John chapter seventeen, and this is, comes towards the end of Jesus' uh, priestly prayer as he's praying for all those who would believe. And, and his disciples, he says, uh, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. 
I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus was praying that the love that he experienced from the Father in, in his life will be exactly the same as the love that you experienced from the Father in your life. Isn't that amazing? And it's possible because it comes with this, and that I myself may be in them. The Spirit of his Son, yeah? By the work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of his Son in his it's possible for us to go deeper on that journey of experiencing the same love of the Father that Jesus experienced. There's always more. Whatever stage you're at, whether you've never experienced the Father's love or whether you've already tasted of it, there is all, there's always more because none of you put your hands up. Um, but there, there are, of course, barriers to, to intimacy. Um, and I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about this uh, of course, we, we, wanna, we, we all want to have that strong connection with the Father that Jesus had. Who, who wouldn't want it? Um, but there are certain barriers that get in the way. Things like, um, you know, when you allow your passions for the things of this world to, to overwhelm you. Or maybe watching too much Euro 2012 or Wimbledon or, no. Um, like, it could be anxieties. Uh, Troubles. When you allow those to take precedence in your life, it does diminish the amount of intimacy you get to experience with the Father. And so you need to look after your heart. Um, another, another one, this is, I think this is the big one really for a lot of people, um, is how you, how you see the Father can be a barrier to intimacy. And that is... Um, our view of the Father comes from our experience of him and our, our understanding of, 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 uh, of who a father is, what a father does. Some of you think about the plasters in the poo again. Let's, don't go there. <laughs> but if you think about what Jesus said, Jesus did a lot, uh, paid a lot of attention to trying to address this, these misconceptions that we have about the Father. And on a number of occasions, he drew, drew parallels saying, well, this is what you know, one of you, a typical earthly father, would do. Now imagine how much more, how much better is your heavenly father. You, know, you see that on a number of occasions. Um, and Jesus teaches and shows what the father's like. You know? So you see in the parable of the prodigal son, you see the father who's compassionate, embracing, forgiving, empowering. Um, we learn that God is more generous than our earthly fathers. We see that in Luke 11. God, our Father, is one who rewards those who seek Him. He's a Father who knows your needs and feeds you. These are all there to be seen in the Gospel. He's a Father who gives good gifts. He's a Father who won't let anything separate you from Him. He's a Father who answers prayer. He's merciful. He delights in giving revelation to little children. Um, He's pleased to give you the kingdom. He calls you his son. He calls you his daughter. Um, He raises the dead and gives them life. And he wants to give eternal life to everybody. He's a protector and he's got a really big house. Okay? This is how Jesus presents the Father. Okay? Sure, sure, God's, God's wrath still exists. 
okay? But you're his son. You're his daughter. That wrath has been taken away from you, okay? Yes, he is to be feared, but not because he's going to hit you, but I fear God because I don't, run away, I don't want to run away from him because I know that if I run away from him, I'm running away from life, okay? And if all that's not enough, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Hebrews 1 says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. See, the trouble is a lot of us, when we try to picture a father or the father, our heavenly father, is that we don't see a picture of Jesus. We see something else which has been superimposed by our experience in life. So we perceive our father God through lenses. And these are often formed during childhood or adolescence. They can be positive lenses. If you've had a really generous dad, it, doesn't, it, it makes it a lot easier to believe that your father in heaven is also generous. Okay? However, the, on the reverse side, if you had a, a father who's extremely stingy and miserly and never gave you anything, it makes it more difficult to believe that your father in heaven is generous. And so you superimpose that lens of stinginess onto your heavenly father. Um, I'm going I'm to get personal here and hopefully I'll hold it all together because I've worked through this. Um, my, my own personal experience with my, my father was, well, I was very fortunate. My, my, my father was a loving man, and he was always there for us, and he always wanted the best for his family. But I did have two lingering perceptions as I was, as I was growing up. And the first of those uh, was that he preferred my brother to me. Um, <clears throat> and... Uh, they, they seem to have more to talk about. He seemed to take more interest in his life. And the, the, the second, the second uh, impression which I carried with me throughout adolescence is that he just wasn't interested in me when I really wanted him to be. You know, I, I would leave kind of massive bits of bait for him to kind of bite and ask me questions. Oh, yeah, I had a really surprising day today. Yeah, surprising. Um, and, and so I, 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 I developed this impression, whether, it, whether it's true or not, that my father wasn't interested in me. Okay? And those were a couple of the lenses which I, uh, which I carried with me growing up. And they affected me. They affected how I saw him. They affected how I saw myself. I struggled with low self-esteem and connecting with other people. Uh, it affected how I understood the word father. And later when I became a Christian, I started to notice certain parallels with the... Uh, how, how I connected with my heavenly father. So not surprisingly, I found it difficult to believe that God was actually interested in me. Okay, I could believe, yeah, okay, he was, um, he was loving. Okay, I believe he's loving. It's easy to believe that, but actually love me? Well, okay, go along with that. But that he actually likes me. <sighs> Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that, that God actually likes you? That there's actually things about you which are absolutely unique. And all the tens and dozens and however many billions of people that's ever existed, there has never been anybody like you. Ever. And that there are things about you which are unique, which he actively likes. 
He doesn't just put up with you out of mercy and patience, but there are actually things about you that he actually likes. And he actually likes, even before you have perfected your character, he does actually like you. Okay. Now, how many of us struggle with that? Yeah, a lot of us. Yeah, okay. Um, But you know what? That's, that's, That's one of those things which the Holy Spirit can really help us with. When we... When we have something in our heads that we know is true, it's got to make a journey down into our hearts. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. When these things, when these things become a reality, and you know, a lot of us have, you know, have got so much further to go with that, but we want to, we want to make that journey, right? Yeah. Okay. So that revelation is the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he guides us into all truth. And what, what could be more important than the truth about our Heavenly Father and how He sees us? So, so practically. <clears throat> Matt likes using that word, sounds good. So practically, what can we do to be restored in the truth about our Heavenly Father? What can we do with those, with those lenses that we've grown up with in terms of how we see, how we see the Father? Or, we'll put it another way, how can we put on those sunglasses? Um, all right, so here are, here, are a few, here, here are some things that you can do. And the context for this the context for this is really in your discipleship groups or your accountability groups or with, with a friend. And it's not something you work through on your own, but it's that you do together with, with someone else who knows you and that you trust. So the first thing, the first thing that I, I think you, you, you could do, be talk, about, talk about your relationship with your earthly father with somebody. What are the positives? What are the negatives? Did you feel secure in that relationship? If you never had a father... If you never had a father, what, were the, what did that feel like? Okay? And then I'll go on to consider your relationship with your heavenly father. What? And, and then try to spot any parallels between those two. Yeah, it might be worth writing these down if, you, if you're connecting with this. <clears throat> and, it, it, and if it's a positive thing, if it's a positive thing, then, then just, just give thanks for that. But if it's a negative thing, um, it's, if it's a negative lens, as it were, which affects how you see the Father, then you need to identify the lie that came with that lens. Okay? So if you're believing something that's not true, it's a lie. All right? And so you need to identify what that lie is. So for me, that lie was that my Heavenly Father is not interested in me. Okay? And I needed to take that in prayer. You need to take it in prayer and in, invite the Holy Spirit to come. And you confess, confess the lie. You believe, Father, I just, I'm just here and I, I confess. I, this is the lie that I've believed, that you're not interested in me. And right now I just reject that in Jesus' name and I throw that lie to the foot of the cross. Now, what do you have for me? And then like the next, the next step would be either what you sense the Holy Spirit is saying. He might guide you to a bit in Scripture. So to me... Um, that's why Psalm 139 just speaks so much. You know, he's, uh, he knows you're, you're, you're rising and you're lying down. He knows every word that's in your mouth before it's ever been spoken, all, all that. Okay? It could be a scripture which replaces the lie with truth or what you sense God is saying. Okay? <clears throat> and then you confess the truth. Father, I believe now that you are interested in me. <laughs> okay? 
Um, so, that's, so that's called repentance, all right? Um, you're, you're leaving a lie and moving on to truth, okay? You're realigning the way you see things with the way your father sees them. And great healing, great healing, inner healing can happen in that area. And if you sense you've got work to do there, I really encourage you to pursue it um, for, for a greater revelation of who he is and his love for you and your, your identity in him. It's all good. Okay, so right, we've done two. So we've looked at two points so far. You'd think it's more than that, but really it's just two points. Um, firstly, you can be secure in your salvation and your identity because of what Jesus has done. Secondly, it's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, which makes it real, and He takes away our barriers to intimacy, as I've just been explaining. Now, this isn't just one aspect of the Christian life. Okay, this is not just one. One category of thought or activity which we are to engage in. But this, this is so big. This is about who you are. What we're talking about today, the father-son, the father-daughter relationship, it has to be the platform from which we live the Christian life. It's not just one thing, one aspect, one piece of the puzzle. It's the foundation. It's what you lay the puzzle on. Okay? You know, we can't live, it's impossible to live the Christian life from a place of insecurity and fear. Okay, it's just not possible. This is the platform. Father's love, your identity in him is the platform for the Christian life. It's the foundation. Okay, because from that foundation there is an outworking. And we're just going to look very briefly at that outworking. Um, John loves to talk about love. Um, And let's just have a look at him. The first book of John chapter 4. John's very clear as well. Let's just go on to the next slide. There's this one before that, I think it should be. I can read it out if not. This is, uh, there you go. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. I like that last bit. Um, Yeah. But if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Do you want God's love to be made complete in you? I think all those people who didn't put their hands up. Who wants to experience more of the the Father's love in the same way that Jesus experienced it? Okay. This is what we want. And so this, this reminds us, this verse reminds us about what kind of place the Holy Spirit likes to live in. We're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, what he does. It's only fair to think about what he might like when he comes to live in you. Okay? And this, this verse is really good. So if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. The Holy Spirit likes love. It likes a place of love. It's what he's used to in the Trinity. And so he, his presence tends to increase and is stronger in a person who is full of love and who is walking in love. He likes love because God is love. Now, you need to understand, I'm not saying that God only loves you if you're going to love somebody else. It's not that at all. God's love is unconditional. Okay? 
But what this verse seems to be saying is that the, father's, the Father loves you and you can rely on it because of, uh, and you experience it. And as a, con- as a natural consequence, you love others more. And if you let that love, if you express that love, if you let that love out, as it were, then more comes in. He lives with you more and more. The intimacy grows. It's supposed to be a flow of love coming in and love going out. And I think if I'm going to be honest with you again, second time today, um, with what I feel God's been teaching me this year is that I feel on a number of occasions he's been, he's been calling me to love. And I, I, I hope I'm not unique in this, is that um, sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in what you want to see happen, either in like, ministry or in mission group or, or at work, um, that you, f- you, you can forget, it's easy to forget sometimes about, about love, about rece- the whole thing about receiving love and, and giving love. And on top of that, in all the difficulties of stress at work and fear of man and stuff like that, but I think there's a part of it that kind of get, has got wrapped up in what do I want to see happen? And it takes the focus off, what, uh, uh, off the foundation which I talked about, which is, which is love. And if you think about it, love, love is the foundation for all ministry, whether it's worship or pastoring, discipleship, accountability, prophecy, healing and miracles. All of those things are, are love gifts. Yeah, they they are to be um, they are to be to be followed and expressed in the context of love. That's why you see it in in Corinthians that the, when Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit, it's all within the context of love. And as soon as we as soon as you, we start to leave love out of the equation and pursue, uh, or there's, there's different gifts and uh, different capacities then we begin, we begin to miss the picture. So, if we live in love, it's going to be, these things are going to be natural. Healing and miracles, prophecy, you know, seeing breakthroughs in people's lives, it's going to be natural. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, I want to live in the way that Jesus did. Jesus lived in a place where love was going in. He lived in complete security in his identity and the Father's love. And he never stopped giving out. And it seems that there was, he never ran out of love. He never ran out of love. And that, that's, I don't know about you, but that, that's where I want to, that's where I want to live. Okay? Why don't we stand? Mm-hmm.